Right, well, I'm going to start a new series with you today. We're going to be looking at Ephesians, and we're going to do uh, some almost verse-by-verse exposition. We're going to do a bit of expository preaching over the next few weeks, and uh, wonderfully, we're going to talk about chosen, just one word today, and that came through in the worship, so that's really encouraging. Um, And uh, the letter to Ephesians... It's an unusual book because a lot of Paul's books have been written to solve a problem in the church or to correct some kind of doctrinal issue uh, or to challenge a particular sin. But that's not why Ephesians was written. Ephesians was written uh, not because of any problem, but rather to expound the greatness of God and his eternal plan for the redemption of everything. It really is that big. It's a really big book with really big purposes. And it starts in chapter 1 with this phenomenal outpouring of praise and thanksgiving. It's a flow that runs from verses 3 to 14 in one sentence. And, And it seems that Paul is hardly able to catch his breath. And some say they think this flow even runs into chapter 3. It's like Paul's heart just pours out with the greatness, the magnificence, the wonder of God, and it goes all over the page and all over the book. And so somehow, in in starting today, I want to capture something of this. Um, You know, so often when we teach or preach, we're trying to bring things down to earth, we're trying to make them relevant to our lives and work hard on the application. We'll do our best with that. But ultimately, we want to capture something of the awe of God in this series because the picture that Paul paints is bigger than anything our limited minds can begin to understand. Which means that sometimes, as we read Ephesians, we're going to be left with no answers, no explanations, no other options other than simply to fall on our knees and just say, wow, wow. And I think that that's where we're going to end up today. If we do, if I do my job properly, Holy Spirit help me, because I want to talk about what it means to be chosen by God. Chosen before the foundations or the creation of the world as a part of God's big plan. So if you'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, I'm just going to read you a few verses and then we'll get into it. So Ephesians chapter 1 starts like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us In him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus. Now, what I want to do is just unpack that section of scripture. But the first thing I need to deal with before we go any further is this little phrase, in love. 
Did you notice it there? In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. It's actually positioned in a rather clumsy place in the passage. It's kind of at the end, or not quite at the end of verse 4, but it's not quite at the beginning of verse 5. It's stuck somewhere in between. And this is because the translators have never quite worked out where that phrase ought to be. Um, So this debate has been going on for years. And so the debate goes something like, does this fit in where the NIV and the other translations position it after the holy and blameless in Christ bit, implying that God's love is as a result of his choosing? Or should it be at the very beginning of the whole list, which makes love the source and the motivation of all that God does for us in choosing us and adopting us and everything else that Paul mentions in Ephesians? Well, do you know, perhaps I'm missing something here, because to me, this is a bit of a a no-brainer, and maybe I'm just not qualified to understand the complexity of this question, but for me, it's this simple, is God's love conditional or not? Um, Does he only love those he chooses, or or does he choose to love everyone, whether they ultimately choose him or not? That's the simplicity of it for me. It takes us outside of the passage a bit because obviously Paul is addressing the Ephesians here who are in Christ, Christians. But how can his love be conditional when we're told that God is love? And this means if God is love, then surely that can be his only motivation if God is love. And also when Paul tells us in Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrates his love to us in that Christ died while we were still sinners, so even before we're Christians, we're not in Christ yet. Although, of course, that Revelation 5 and 13 shows us the eternal perspective on our salvation, because it reveals that the Lamb was slain from before the foundations of the world, before creation, which is when Ephesians shows us that we are chosen. Are you following this? I mean, I mean, what do you think? When did, all right, let's be simple. When did God decide to fall in love with us? When did he decide to love us? Before the creation of the world or just before he adopted us? You know, and and so my simplistic view, but John Stott agrees, so that's good, (laughs) is that God's love comes before everything. God's love comes before even creation And it certainly comes before our salvation. And so I'm at odds with the NIV here. I just needed to get that clear. And I prefer the New Living Translation version of this passage. Okay, because this is how the New Living Translation puts it. And I think it's more biblical. All praise to the God, to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. You might think, well, why have you gone on that long? Why couldn't you have just told us that? It's really important to ask questions when we read the Bible. It's really important to understand what we're reading, to compare translations, and to see why the translators write what they write. But this is the most important thing of all. He loves. (laughs) 
He loves everyone that has ever existed or will ever exist. His love compels his choice and predetermines our adoption into his family. His love is unconditional because he loved us even before we were created. Think about that. Even before we did anything that merited his love or even decided to love him back. You may not have even decided that you love him and you want to serve him and give your life to him yet. He still loves you. He still loves you. God is in love with the human race. I love it that it says in love. He's in love. Have you ever thought about that? That God our Father is in love? He's in love with the human race, which is why he created us. It's what motivated him to create us. His love is the foundation of all that he is and all that he does. And it's certainly the foundation of our relationship with him. So right at the beginning of this explosion of praise is the revelation of a heavenly father who is predisposed to love. So all other arguments, whatever else we get into, that's the most important thing. He is predisposed to love. I think that's really important to know that he is the one who loved us and chose us as a part of his big plan. So let's just look at this word chosen then. Chosen. He chose us before the creation of the world. This word chosen, there's nothing unfamiliar about choice. We understand what that means. We make choices every day and we get chosen too, don't we? We choose the job that we do. We choose the house that we bought, the partner that you're with. But this is not what God means when he chooses. See, for us, choice is most often based around the merits of something or someone. And we all have dotted through our history Those moments of disappointment, uh, those times when we were not good enough and when we were not chosen. Or is that just me? I mean, for me, it was sport, okay? You know, this has just been the story of my life. You remember that time, boys, on the football field when they're all lining up and the team captain is choosing. And, And maybe even the girls are there too. But I'm just talking about me, if that's okay. And there I am standing there in my shorts, shivering with fear that I am this time not going to get chosen again. And they would go around, they'd choose all the different ones. And, and you know, that you knew, you knew what was coming because the team captain avoided your gaze. And you're willing him, you're willing, give me the chance. If only I could have the put me in, put me in, coach. But no, I was always the player they fought over last. <laughs> you know, you have him. No, you have him. No, please, you have him. You really need him. No, we really don't need him. And so it would go on. And so um, I, I had a, a brief reprieve on this experience. I've got to say, just a little insight on what it was like to be chosen first. It was when I started work. And at work, we had a five-a-side football team. And uh, the advantage was that none of them knew me. <laughs> and uh, the other advantage was I was younger than everybody else. So they all assumed, like, I must be fitter, better, stronger, and all the rest. So for the first two games, that means on the same day, 
I got chosen first, but then they rumbled me, and then it was back to normal despair and disappointment for everybody. (sighs) So glad to have got that off my chest. But God doesn't choose us on our merits. This is really good news. He chose us before the foundations, before the creation of the world. He chose us outside of time. He chose us actually before time. He chose us before we'd done anything good, anything bad or otherwise, without any merit. He chose us. That's how he chose us. He chose us in spite of us. He chose us knowing the cost for the failure that we would certainly be. He chose us and prepared with that knowledge, but he prepared beforehand, having already foreseen the sacrifice of his son. He chose us even before the work of Christ. So not even conditional on that, I think. I mean, it's quite hard to get your head around a God who sits in the eternal realm and decides things that then appear in time but have already happened in eternity but still have to be worked out on the ground, literally, it seems. So, wow. Wow. He chose us. And I hadn't done anything to deserve it. I never can do anything to deserve it. But he chose us. All of God's children were chosen. And God chose us a bit like you choose your children. Or were chosen by your biological parents. I mean, perhaps you decide, just go with me on this. Perhaps you decide we're going to have a baby. But that baby doesn't exist yet, but it's been decided before their creation, and you've determined that this baby, when it comes, will be a part of your family. And then the baby is conceived, and it grows, and and you know you're going to have this child and love that child and care for the child, but you haven't even met them yet. They've not even been born. They haven't done anything to merit your love or the opposite of that. Because when they arrive, it's a bit of a test. Um, Or the commitment that you've made to bringing them up. No merit. You get the house ready. You buy clothes for it. You buy a cot. You prepare a room. You prepare room for that child in your life. And then comes the moment of birth. And you finally get to meet this little person you assume you would know. <laughs> Isn't that weird? You kind of thought I'd know them because they're my child. And you find out that it takes the rest of your life to discover who they are. And you take this child in your arms and you confirm your choice of them. You love them already. And until you've had your own child, you'll never know how profound this moment is. Those first few moments... You fall in love with them all over again. And you commit from that moment to take care of them for the rest of their your natural life and even beyond if possible. Because you store up for them. <laughs> and we do this. <laughs> we do this. We get this. We understand 
this. We recognize ourselves in this because we're made in his image, like him. And in the same way, God chose us and committed to us and to the whole human race, just like we are prepared to receive, care for, and love our own children. You know, they have done nothing to deserve this love, but you're programmed to love them anyway, unconditionally. And you'll do anything for them, even if ultimately they hurt you, they reject you, they despise you, or all that you are, or all that you stand for. You just love them. And God, I'm convinced, loves all people. He does. He loves all people and has made it possible for all to come and know him as Father, even though not everyone will know him. Or receive him like that. But God, as Paul says to Timothy, our saviour, he wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But not all will be saved. Not all will come to the knowledge of the truth of a heavenly loving father. And we're going to come to that question in a couple of weeks as to whether that means perhaps some are not chosen or predetermined in some way. We're going to deal with that in a couple of weeks' time. But for now, this. We need to understand that when he looks at us, he loves us. Those who are in Christ, he loves, he always loved, and he sees the family resemblance of his son. When he looks at us, that's how he sees you in Christ. That's what it means. And that is the place, in that place where he sees us, where he puts us, where he put us even before the creation of the world, is a place of phenomenal spiritual blessing. Phenomenal blessing. Spiritual blessings, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And these blessings which the Father has lovingly chosen us to enjoy are found in Christ, who's seated in the heavenly realms, and these blessings come from him and through him. So what are these spiritual blessings? Well, they are spiritual in the impact that they have on us in terms of peace and love, joy, certainty, security, assurance, salvation, and so on. So they are primarily spiritual in nature. The blessings of the New Testament are mostly spiritual. The ones that are mentioned in the New Testament are mostly about spiritual blessing. This is in contrast to the Old Testament, where God's promised blessings are largely material. Did you realize that difference? So in Deuteronomy 28, here's the blessing of the Old Testament. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God, which as you know from reading the Old Testament was pretty hard work. (laughs) Um, But 
your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. Physical blessing, material blessing. So in the Old Testament, if you were to ask whether the people of God were truly blessed, you'd look at what they have what they've got, whereas in the New Testament, you look at who they've got. The Old Testament is about what they've got, the New Testament is about who they've got, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Emmanuel, God living amongst his people. So you look at the spiritual wealth and the gifting of that people, of the people of God. And so these spiritual blessings are spiritual in nature, but they're also spiritual in source. They come to us from the heavenly realms, the place where Jesus is seated in undisputed victory by the Holy Spirit, which is why Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, I've got to leave you. My material material existence here is going to change because I'm going to go to the Father so that he will send you everything that is in heaven and everything that you have seen in me by the Holy Spirit, in the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, the Father chose us for blessing. He chose us to inherit everything from his Spirit. And the only limitations for the blessing that he has reserved in heaven for us, because you see, Paul tells us how much spiritual blessing we can have. He says, all spiritual blessings all in Christ, the only limitation is that is of our own faith and our ability to ask or receive all that the Father has already determined to give us. You know, you can never out-ask God. You can't. You can't out-give him either. I mean, whatever you've had of spiritual blessing, whatever peace you've experienced, whatever reconnection with the Father you've received, it's just a down payment. This is just the tip of the iceberg of all that you can have in Christ. So if you want to know how much you can have, look at Jesus, because everything that he had and everything that he is in him is what we're entitled to also. They're all ours. These things are yours. So ask him for more. Just like that song that we sang at the end, Boldly I Approach, we were just having a bit of a joke about that song, a very profound song, that actually, more often than not, we say politely, we approach, if you don't mind, Lord, we don't want to bother you or anything, boldly we approach the throne of grace. Everything I have is yours. That's what Jesus taught us through the parable of the prodigal son. That boy who'd been in the kingdom for so long, he'd been in his father's house and he didn't know what he had. And the father turns and says, son, everything that I have is yours. Now don't start distracting yourself with all the material blessings that you need. Because material blessings, quite honestly, are worth so little when you don't have peace inside. But honestly, he blesses us anyway. I have been blessed so much by him, even physically and materially over the years. So often he has provided. But the priority of blessing is primarily spiritual. 
And you can have more than you've got now. So much more. So ask him for more. Ask him for his presence. Ask him for his peace. Ask for miracles. They're spiritual, you know that. And they even appear in the physical. When you ask for the miraculous, things appear in the physical. Ask for freedom. All that is in him can be yours. So please take a seat at his table and tuck into his abundance. Which leads me to the final piece of exposition of this short passage and then some application. And it's this question, why then are we chosen? Why are we chosen? Now Simon's going to come on to this next week and deal with it in a little more detail, particularly around this passage. But I want to just stay big picture for a bit. Okay, So why are we chosen? For what are we chosen? Why we're chosen, you see, returns to this central idea that it's all part of God's big plan for the redemption of everything, as seen in the Bible's big story, which starts with creation, which I'll remind you of really quickly as we bring things to a conclusion. So God created mankind because of love. He wanted their worship, he wanted their love and their friendship. It started with Adam and is preserved through Noah, whose family was saved through the floods. Then God chose a people through promises made to Abraham, which led to the formation of Israel, the Jewish people. And the Jewish people he chose from out of all the other peoples on the earth. So you see that when Paul talks about the choosing, he's actually using the same language, same understanding of that people who were chosen. He has now chosen all of us, chosen the people of God to demonstrate his glory. So Moses tells his people in Deuteronomy 7.7 that this isn't a great or mighty people. He, goes, he says, the Lord didn't set his affections on you because you were more numerous than the other people. You were the fewest of all people. But it's because the Lord loved you. And he kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He's faithful. God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So Israel led to Jesus, who came to bring God's invitation to all people, even the Gentiles. That's us. The people whom Peter describes as not a people. (laughs) He tells us, and Paul tells us, this is a foolish and a weak people to confound the wise and shame the strong, people who have been grafted into the vine, known as Israel, in Ephesians 2, which Jesus then tells us is his father's extremely fruitful vine, which he tends and cultivates to produce much fruit in John 15. And the branches of this vine are to grow over the wall, Genesis 49, so that the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of his glory. As the waters cover the sea. And this is God's ultimate plan for the multiplication and the spreading out of the people of God to go to the ends of the earth, to fill the earth, and to show off his glory. Even to fill the whole universe. 
Well, that's just a phenomenal picture. In Ephesians chapter 4.10, it talks about uh, the church being part of God's glorious revelation to the whole universe. So that, I, how can you think, what I do here, what we do here, is affecting not just the world in which we live, but the whole universe. That's his big picture and his eternal perspective. And that's a big plan, isn't it? And it's a plan that can only be God-sized. But we have a significant part in it too. And this is why you are chosen. Let me just bring some application then as I bring things in for a close. And here it is. You are chosen by a loving father. You are. And he fell in love with you before the creation of the world. Never mind the moment of your conception or your birth. You were not a mistake. You weren't a biological accident, an unintended consequence of a one-night sound, a honeymoon baby, or whatever else you want to call it. He chose you and had a plan for you. You're not a reject. You're not an afterthought or no thought. (laughs) You are not irrelevant. You are not insignificant because of his big plan. You know, in Christ, your life is meaningful. A small part of a much greater plan, God's eternal plan for the redemption of everything. He's got a plan for the whole universe, which he's working out through you. Wow. Through us. Through the church, universal throughout all time. But he also has a plan for you and for your life. He chose you. Have you chosen him? Are you his? Is he yours? Do you know the Father's love for you unconditionally, personally, experientially? Do you know you're alive today? I don't know if you've ever wondered, why am I alive today? It's a good question. Why are you alive today? Because God, sitting in the eternal realm, saw you and chose you. That's why you're alive today. So make it count. Don't waste your life, you know? Make your life count for something. Make a choice to make a difference. Live radically, purposefully. Being secure in the certainty that together we are an important part of his great plan to change the world and bring his kingdom everywhere. That's what it's all about. That's why you're alive today. People get themselves tied up in knots about what am I meant to be doing? What's my calling? What's my job? This is it. Go change the world. Take God everywhere. That's the simplicity of the gospel. So I want to finish with just this simple plea. Will you ask him for more? More than you've got, more than you've experienced, more than you've known, even more than you've seen in someone else, or somebody else's ministry in their life and what they do. Ask him for more. Ask him for those spiritual blessings. Ask him for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I was speaking to this Salvation Army church uh, 
what do they call them, captains, you know, the leaders of the Salvation Army. And uh, she was saying to me, she said, uh, I said, oh, what spiritual gifts have you got? She said, I've got all of them. I said, really? She said, yeah, ever since I got filled with the Spirit, I've been asking him for every single one of them. And I've managed to use every single one of them at some point. That's the kind of thing. <laughs> so I just, oh, yes, praise the Lord, sister. <laughs> I've got all of them. Have you? I've got all of them. Do you want all of them? There's 22 at least spiritual gifts. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of the blessings that God wants to release through you to the world. To change the world and make a difference. Ask him for more. Will even affect the universe with his glory. Amen.